Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast, reviewing the 1-0 win away at the San Siro in the Europa League. And joined by, well, I'm not going to even call you a super sub anymore. I think you're almost a replacement for Larry at the moment. I think the last three or four podcasts you've been on. Josh, how are you, mate? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I'm concerned about Larry. Not heard from him, wasn't at the football last week. Um, quite worried, so if anyone's seen him, please uh, let us know he's okay. Yeah, no, look, I'm sure he is fine. But yeah, Fridays in Sydney time is a little bit hard for both Larry and myself to sort of sync our working schedules. But it is always good to always be reliant on Josh to fill in. And um, it's good because um, there was a period of time there you were always coming on after a loss, wasn't that right? Yeah, we had a bad run of form uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, should I say, just over the Christmas. Um, towards the end of the Christmas period, just seems to be uh, dropping quite a few points, so... Look, two wins on the bounce now, so hopefully uh, long may it continue. Well, yeah, we are fine, and, and look, we'll, we'll get into the sort of remaining fixtures a little bit later in the podcast, but we're finding a bit of form now. I think you catch me one back to when we played against Man City, and it was all a little bit doom and gloom. If we lose this game, everyone's thinking what's going to happen with top four. But suddenly, two weeks later, we're sort of almost not guaranteed top four, far from that. But everyone's a lot more confident about top four, but now we're also overturned, not a deficit in the Europa League, but sort of overturned a tricky situation against Milan. And suddenly the season has sort of a quite a bright end into it. Yeah, I mean, we got to what we had looking at the start of this game. We had two cup games. Um, and, you know, you're, you're reflecting and you're thinking, you know what, by Monday morning, you could be out of two cup competitions. We've done half a job, mm. win um, the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Now it's time to push on get a result against Leicester and um, you know still compete for I won't say three trophies but at least two yeah no definitely well the main thing regarding the three trophies in my opinion is stopping Man City winning the three trophies let alone four I don't think the four trophies will bother us but um, yeah definitely stopping any type of treble would be um, definitely higher on my priority list but before we get into that Leicester match obviously um, huge win away at AC Milan again I know it is the Europa League I made this point on previous podcasts but there is something about it and Unfortunately, okay, it wasn't in an empty stadium. You'd rather sort of a San Siro packed. But seeing Man United v AC Milan out there, it just felt like a big game for me when I saw the teams on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I feel exactly the same. Obviously got the Champions League feel. I don't think we've played AC Milan competitively since, since 2009, 2010, was it? Yeah, it would have been. Um, the Beckham game, Rooney, uh, maybe a little bit after. That was the year after. Um, no, but well, definitely at least that Beckham one where, yeah, 3-2 and 4-0. So, yeah, I think that was probably 2009, 2010. Yeah, I mean, obviously it has that feel. It's just a bit sad that there's no fans there to see it. I mean, it would have really generated a massive away following on our end. And obviously, you know, the, the Panache and Man United playing in Milan would have um, attracted quite a few from their end as well. So, yeah, it did have that feel, unfortunately, just no fans uh, just yet. There's a little bit of that fan feel though when the goal when Pogba, which we'll get into Pogba's performance and the goal a little bit later, but when he did score, when he ran over to the sideline, it was almost one of those you see the celebrations on FIFA where you run your player over to the camera, and there's three or four people behind like the barrier, and he sort of celebrated with the subs, but the subs were behind like a looked like a red rope sort of thing, they couldn't get forward, and um, yeah, I think that was the closest the players have come to fans. Yeah, 100%. It's good to see uh, Donny as well arriving quite late to that uh, celebration. <laughs> I think he's just a bit scared yeah. that he'd be the only one caught on camera not um, celebrating. Yeah, no, I think he's as close as his involvement would come. But, um, yeah, well, we'll discuss Donny van der Beek because his situation is um, almost just as um, 
I don't know what the word is, such as intriguing at the moment because this is a t- type of game you thought maybe he could come off the bench and sort of influence in terms of what the game needed. But um, we'll get into that. But in regards to that team selection, obviously Donny van der Beek wasn't part of it. Usually there is always one or two changes, especially with the Europa League and there's that type of rotation in terms of Solskjaer prior- prioritising a competition here or there. This is a rare occasion. There was no changes. He selected the same 11 twice in two games. Yeah, quite a bit surprised with that. Um, I thought it been, there might have been maybe one or two changes, maybe at the back. I didn't think um, Lindelof would start, but you know, it proved to be a great decision. I think he had one of his uh, best games in the United shirt. Well, we'll go on a little we'll start on Lindelof because, as I said, it's, it's, a way, it's an away clean sheet in Europe against AC Milan. So you have to look at the defenders and go... That's fantastic performance. Now, Milan were nowhere near the level of performance they showed at Old Trafford. I thought Old Trafford, they were fantastic. Where today, especially in that first half, Milan were woeful at times. And United were not much better at times. Although I thought United were in control. The AC Milan didn't really offer too much of a threat. But every time that ball did come forward, Lindelof and Maguire, but I think especially Lindelof today just dealt with it with ease and it wasn't sort of backs to the wall defending I think oh what a clearance or what a tackle and he did have those one or two moments remember that time Bruno Fernandes gave the ball away and Lindelof sort of worked back into the box and made a great tackle so he did have those moments but nine times out of ten it was just good position so the ball in the box okay Lindelof's got it okay let's start our next attack and um, I've been very critical of Lindelof so has Larry in the past but I thought today and you can rejog my memory if sort of if I'm wrong here Probably his best performance in United shirt, I think, from my memory. Now, I know against Juventus a couple of years ago, he had some very good games, especially against Ronaldo and Dybala. But for me, fresh in my memory, that's the best performance I've seen from him in a United shirt. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think we're, at the moment we're heaping a lot of praise on Harry Maguire. And you think, you know, if Harry Maguire's had a good game, you know, his partner's most likely to have had a, you know, a good game as well. But because Maguire gets the criticism in the past... It's easy, you know, to heap the phrase in when he has been successful in a game. But I think today there were just more standout moments from Lindelof that, you know, he really did make an impact on the game. That's not to say Maguire had a bad game. I think Maguire put in at least a 7 out of 8 performance today, 7 8 out of 10 performance today. I think it's just, you know, the, the key moments in the game, such as covering for that Fernandez mistake in the first half, um, really did stand out. And that's not to say Maguire had a bad game. I thought they complemented each other really well next to each other. Um, and he continues a really good habit, Maguire, of performing against, you know, the bigger teams. But for me, as I said, as you said, should I say, um, Lindelof, outstanding today. Really, really good. Read the game superbly. Well, in, in regards to the performance as a whole, and I don't want to sort of target individuals, but I think it's such an important part of the pitch in terms of that middle area of the field. Scott McTominay and Fred, look, it, it throws up I love, a whole I love how you, just, you were going to say McFred there. <laughs> yeah, no, I said McTominay. McTominay and McFred. I'm playing a three-man midfield between the two of them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, those two, I thought, we win 1-0 away at AC Milan. You think, okay, that, that's a good performance, solid all around. However, I think our worst performances were those two in the middle. However, I thought we were in complete control as well. And I don't understand how that works when I thought Fred and McTominay were so careless with the ball throughout the match, especially in the first half. However, I thought Milan were 10 times worse. I thought Fred and McTominay controlled the game whilst being extremely poor. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and I think that's probably highlighted more in the first half. I think they just like epitomise the sloppiness of United, giving it away you know, in the, 
in the midfield, just summarise literally how we were all feeling in the first half. Why is everyone giving the ball away? And it came from them too. Um, having said that, I don't think they were the poorest you know, people on the pitch overall. I know Rashford only played 45 minutes. I didn't think he was that effective. But in terms of the two, midfield, two midfielders, McFred, I thought they looked a lot more comfortable, especially when Pogba came on in the second half. Well, what do you think of the Pogba sub in terms of would you have brought Pogba let's take Marcus Rashford's injury let's say he was fit and Marcus Rashford was ready to come out in the second half your thoughts on the substitution because obviously while we're in control if you're still looking at the clock and the scoreboard the clock was ticking and we are running out of time we did need a goal why nil all you think okay that's a good performance well it's not a league game this is a knockout game where we had to win we're losing the tie so we did have to go forward and I'm just thinking what do you think of the Pogba substitution for Rashford in terms of not sort of shuffling things around too much, not maybe bringing a young player on on the left and taking McTominay off to put Pogba in his natural position. But what we've seen Solskjaer do in one or two two of these bigger games, accommodating Pogba on the left, what do you think of it when you sort of saw that sort of lineup off kickoff? Uh, I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really good substitution. Um, obviously, it worked out fantastic because he's a goal scorer. But just in terms of how the game was going, I think if you play that forty-five minutes again with no changes and Rashford stays on injury-free. It just didn't look like scoring. And I think you said at the start of the podcast that AC Milan were a lot poorer than they were at um, Old Trafford. And yes they, were, well, yes, they were, but I think they had a game plan, really, and that was just to really frustrate us. When United get frustrated, they often down tools. They didn't do that against West Ham, but, you know, fortunately, an own goal resulted in us winning the game. But he could have easily really down tools and I think the fact that he made that change for Pogba allowed Fernandez, you know, a bit more pressure, less, sorry, less pressure and more freedom really. Um, and obviously, you know what Pogba can do, big impact player. Bit of a strange goal, but in terms of freeing up the rest of the players and allowing them to be more creative, it, it made the game a bit more end-to-end, not in a sloppy sense of the word, a bit more... Once he scored, AC Milan obviously had to, you know, try and find a goal. And once, you know how good United are on the counter-attack, once they try and go forward and United can break free, it does create a lot of chances. Not to yeah, say that we had many out-and-out chances in the game, because we didn't, but there was a lot more, um, you know, counter-attacking football being played, just missing quite a bit in the final third. Well, on the goal from Pogba, it was probably, albeit it was our goal, so of course it was, but our almost best chance of the game. And we look at it and think... Well, just want your thoughts on the two aspects of the goal. One, Paul Pogba's finish, because I think it's a little bit underrated. Because he's in a tricky spot there. Everyone's thinking cross, and he can't quite get a shot away because it's under his feet. And he just falls Donnarumma. He just sort of fakes the cross. Donnarumma sort of commits a little bit. And it just opens up a sort of little bit of a pathway into the near post. So, one, the fantastic finish by Paul Pogba. But also your sort of total view of the goal. We're thinking, great, there's a goal, 1-0. Let's go through to the next round in the Europa League. However, flip that and say that's at the other end of the field, and that's Latan Ibrahimovic. We're not talking about the finish from Ibrahimovic. We're talking about the woeful defending. While we're saying great substitution, great sort of quality by Paul Pogba, we're pretty lucky with that goal. I thought that was poor defending. If that's at the other end, we should be clearing that, and would be filthy if we didn't. Yeah, I mean, like it's all lifts and butts. It was like you know, it's that saying what would have happened if he wouldn't have scored? Would he have had more creativity to go on and try and win the game? Um, you know, in those forty-five minutes of the second half. But yeah, it was shocking defending. Um, you're completely right. If that's our end of the pitch, and it's you know Harry or Victor doing that, they're being hung out to dry. Uh, not just from ourselves, but also from social media, the press. Um, 
Yeah, it was a very, very strange goal. But you know, you got to take um, you got to take the chances. We took the chances with the own goal against West Ham. You take this uh, again. Um, you take this goal for Pogba against um, AC Milan. I think Fred uh, deserves a bit of credit for that. He gave the ball away, but he did well to uh, put pressure on the defender so that Pogba could get it back and you know execute the finish. Yeah, well, yeah, on Fred and McTominay, like, I thought they were so poor at times. However, again, I thought that they were so influential in just the way the game panned out. I thought while it was a tight game or 1-0, I thought we are always in control. And you do need a little bit of control in midfield. But um, look, I thought they were poor at times, but credit to, to them. Today but, was um, the first game where, I, obviously I've listened to the, to the podcast a lot, and you, you always mention that you just sometimes Fred shows just unfootball-like attributes. And I see it at times, but that's never really got it. But then today, I think it really highlighted it for me. Like some of the decisions Fred makes is ridiculous, but then, but, but at, then the he time, for it at the same time, at the same time, he was just like everywhere in the game today, and I don't know if that's in a good or bad way. Yeah. Do you know, like towards the end of the game when we were breaking through on goal and there was a lot of bookings in in towards the end of the game, and you're thinking, oh, he's brought down Pogba. It's like it's Fred. It's like what Fred's doing yeah. on goal. Yeah, no, there is a bit of that, and um, he does make up for it. He he has something about him. And I think that is why Solskjaer does trust him. Um, whether that trust is sometimes misplaced, I think it is. Uh, there is, I think, a definite need for someone else in in, in that role instead. But I, I can fully understand why Solskjaer puts him in there because he knows... It, it's a cliche, but he knows he's going to get 100% effort from Fred and McTominay. And, of course, we need more than 100% effort. We need quality. But in the position we're in and the results, this constant selection of the two players is sort of providing Solskjaer... I can't criticise Solskjaer for picking it, even though I would sort of offer a different one. But you just spoke earlier about when we were talking about the goal. We said if that was at our end, we'd be crucifying the players. This time last week, Dean Henderson made, oh, look, it wasn't a howler, but made a mistake in goals in the last minute, which could have proved costly in this tie. Pretty straightforward header, straight down the middle, and Dean Henderson wasn't quick enough to react. Where he's had a mirror image of the same situation this time against Latin, and this time has come up big, and if we're going to crucify him last week saying that was going to cost us and knock us out of the Europa League, you have to say this save at the end from Zlatan is a match-winning save and puts us through in the Europa League. Yeah, I thought, I thought Henderson today didn't have... He had two major chances, that save from Ibrahimovic and also in the first half, um, where he sort of fumbled it a bit. But I want to give him credit for that first um, shot, which he did fumble and put out for a corner, because it's very easy just to think, you know what... I'm going to confidently collect this and then you end up parrying it straight to an attack and he gets on a rebound if in doubt just get it out and sometimes you have to get the basics right in football and I thought what he was really good at today was doing the basics his positioning was superb his distribution was really good and he makes a really decisive save to um, make sure that the tie doesn't go to extra time I thought he was yeah, brilliant no. today and especially with De Gea coming um, you know, back from Spain He's now on the bench and he's now an option for United. It's, it's games like this can really give Solskjaer a headache and it's kind of a good headache for Solskjaer because he's going to have a big decision to make um, at the end of the season maybe, if not sometime next season because I don't think Henderson now having a good run of games, what is it now, four or five games for United um, consecutively, is going to want to be on the bench next year. Yeah, no, well, there's no shortage of debate there. And not only a big decision at the end of the season, he has a big decision on the weekend against Leicester in the FA Cup. Is David De Gea now the cup keeper? 
and he'll come in the FA Cup and Henderson will play the more important or so-called more important league games. But we'll get into the um, uh, Leicester match in a little bit. But we'll go on to um, 3-2-1s. Now, for me, it has to be Victor Lindelof and not often he gets three points, but I thought he was there. But in saying that, Paul Popper came on and proved the difference between the two sides and obviously changed the the way the game was going, not only to his goal, but in terms of his quality on the ball, which sort of sort of stabilised our attack a little bit at times during the second half. So you could argue Pogba in terms of his influence on the game, but I thought throughout the 90 minutes, Lindelof would be getting my shout for the three points. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think for me it was either Lindelof or um, Henderson. Um, We'll get on to the one, but it would probably be the first time to actually give the match winner a one point. And I know that's strange, but just in terms of collectively... You've got to keep us in the game. Obviously, we need to score in the game to have any chance of going through because the tie was, you know, level at 1-1 with the away goal. But you've got to keep us in for the majority of the game to have that opportunity. And yeah, if they score, it doesn't make a difference. You've still got to score. You've scored a goal and, you know, it's going to extra time. A goal doesn't really matter, really, if they were to score first because, you know, in essence, we still have to score a goal. But I thought in terms of defensively throughout the game... Lindelof was superb and you look you, you remember key moments in the game in terms of where he helped United that tackle um, you know in the first half where Fernandez gave it away and just in terms of defending set pieces um, especially when Zlatan emerged in the second half he was really really um, good and he read the game superbly in fact to perfection so yeah no arguments yeah. out on three points for me yeah no definitely and the reason I would probably look probably would be a a two for me, but there, you've probably changed my mind there. And the reason I'd probably agree with you in regards to slightly choosing Dean Henderson for t- the two points would just be what I alluded to at the start of the podcast in regards to it's an away clean sheet in Europe against a good team. Now, obviously, this good team in Milan played quite poorly today. Like, I, I accept that fact. However, it's still job done. It's still we needed to keep a clean sheet, and we did. And I just think from a defensive side of things, as you say, Harry Maguire played quite well. I thought Juan Bissaka and Luke Shaw, who we haven't even mentioned defensively, again, not faultless, but 7 out of 10, I thought both performed quite well. Um, I think you do have to look at that defence and sort of understand and realise the importance they everyone played today. And that's why not only in the match winning save from Dean Henderson, but just his general all-round performance and sort of, I don't want to say leadership or the way he commanded his area type of thing, but just that little bit of presence he had there. It's very, it's, yeah, even probably. though it's the same score, Tom, as like the West Ham game, it's very different in terms of like collectively. Like when I mentioned, mm. when I was on the podcast on Monday, I told you that there were like key players were eight or nine out of ten in that game against West Ham, but then there were players that were like three or four out of ten. I mean, obviously, yeah. let's take Rashford aside. I think everyone in that team was no less than a six or a seven. Like it was a, today, it was a good all round team performance where maybe not many players were outstanding, so to speak, but they did their job. Yeah, no, definitely can't can't disagree with that at all. And it's good to see because, yeah, as you say, sometimes we see, you know, Bruno Fernandes drop a 2 out of 10 performance, but then, you know, it comes up with a 9 out of 10 moment or a 10 out of 10 moment. But it is good, and I'm sure the manager agrees as well. It is good just to get 90 minutes of a solid performance and do do the job and there's sort of no real heart attacks. While it was a close game and sort of hanging off the edge like in terms of the season's on the line almost, if Milan score a goal, like everything's going to sort of come crumbling down. While it was that sort of tension, it was still very comfortable, I thought, and a lot of that comfort did come from the defence. So, um, yeah, I'd have no argument with um, Dean Henderson for two and Paul Pogba for one, but I think especially today, um, Lindelof, it's all about him getting the three points. 
but I'll quickly go to Facebook comments. And Rob has gone, Pogba was great for his time on the pitch with winner for three points. Henderson was good. Um, and a match-winning save also for two points. And for one point, he's torn. So very much a similar... I'm, I'm surely he's... You know, he's left Lindelof out. I thought he would have gone Lindelof. Um, I know he has given Maguire a few points the last couple of weeks. So maybe trying to get away from that back four praise. But on Rob, um, he also... If you've been on our Twitter page, you can see he also... Him and his mates has a new podcast. And um, they actually had Simon Hill on um, the last podcast, which was a good chat about all things Premier League. So if you go onto our Twitter page, you'll see their podcast, the IFT podcast. And um, yeah, go give that podcast with Simon Hill a listen. Um, George has gone three for Henderson, two for Pogba, and one for Dan James. Dan James is an interesting shout, because I think along the lines of Fred and McTominay as well, I thought James was poor. However, he was almost our most important player on the break and did quite well. It was just that last last little bit of quality, which... We're not going to criticise James Hall because we've all been adamant that he has lacked that quality in the past. It's no real shock. But um, Dan James is on the verge. I thought almost. Dan James just, was just, good. I thought Dan James was He was just one or two moments away from a 10 out of 10 performance. And because those one or two moments didn't come, I think it sort of left you with a sense of frustration. Yeah, I mean, his decision-making at times is, is you know, we know it's questionable. But it says a lot when, you know, when you have someone that's a liability playing on the wing you often play through the other channel uh, and we saw that against West Ham the amount of times we were playing it down the left hand side with Shaw on, on, the, on the overlap um, but today it was probably just as equal amount with Shaw and uh, Dan James obviously Wan-Bissaka didn't really offer much attacking attacking wise today but he was superb defensively but they were still utilising Dan James and he had um, quite a few opportunities should have had a penalty in the first half but I thought yeah he was effective so it's not a bad bad shout from George wouldn't get any more well, than just one just in, in regards to the discussion they're on the right hand side which I'm sure we'll have many debates in the next couple of months in regards to a right winger but Vin with the last comment on Facebook goes would love to see Deleu back United and compete with Wan-Bissaka and even James sometimes but his three points are gone three for Pogba two for Dean Henderson and one for Victor Lindelof but um, yeah, interesting well, what, what do you think of that With when I saw Deleu coming on the bench and obviously Ibrahimovic isn't our player but when Ibrahimovic comes on it still has that United connection that United feel and you think oh god this is written in the stars but more so for me was the Delos substitution when he came on I was thinking oh, it didn't really cross my mind in the first leg but this leg when it was backs to the wall and it was really tense I was thinking United they, and again it might be out of their control in regards to rules and might, they might not have a say in it but I was thinking United should be doing better than this United shouldn't be allowing Delo on the pitch he's our player if he comes on and contributes to knocking United out of the competition I wouldn't be able to live with myself, and that Delow substitution really worried me because we know he does have a bit of quality getting forward, especially in delivering the ball into the box. And when he came on, I was thinking, I don't like this. I think he might be a bit of a pain in our side here, and he could contribute to knocking us out. But um, what do you think of that in regards to potential to see Delow back at United next year? I, I do. I agree with like the, the message behind Vin's comment in the sense that we do need some form of competition to challenge. Um, to challenge Juan Bissaka, I mean, we've said this multiple times, um, on you know, on different podcasts. But whether it's Delo, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I just don't think he's that consistent. I mean, it's good that he's had a great spell at Milan, and that's great. You know, you love to see players that on loan that you know may or may not come back to the club. You know, have a good run of form because that's the point they want. They need to be playing football to show their qualities. And yeah, he's been good. You know, this season for Milan. I'm just not sure if he's going to be the person to. 
Yeah, no, look, it will be a hard one. And as you said, I think we've alluded to, we've had the discussion before. Um, there's definitely a need for that extra body, whether that be a first-team first, first team player at right back or a backup player, not quite sure. But um, I think if you're a, you're a betting man, I think the club will invest rather than sort of go back to what we've had in the past. But um, on that, we'll go to the Europa League draw in regards to... By the time a lot of people listen to this, um, we might not... I think the draw is Friday night, our time, so it's in, in a few hours. So by the time a lot of people listen to this, we probably already know our next opponent. But we'll just go through them. Who have we got? We've got Roma, Arsenal, Dinamo Zagreb, Slavia Prague, Ajax, Granada and Villarreal. But before I get on to who you want in the next round or how you see the rest of the competition play now, I think we do need to spend a little bit of time on Jose Mourinho and Tottenham. 2-0 up away in Zagreb. Was it Zagreb or Prague? Who did they play? So there, I think it was Dynamo Zagreb. Yeah, they were 2-0 up against Zagreb. And they've lost 3-0. Obviously 2-0 in normal time, but lost 3-0 in extra time. And I'm just thinking, wow. Like, you, you, you cannot have a soul-shy debate without looking back at, jo- at sort of an overall, a better manager in Jose Mourinho when you're discussing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I just think if that was Solskjaer, he wouldn't have a job this morning. And not that I agree with that, but Jose Mourinho, the amount of people who want him back at the club or a manager like him at the club to see what he is doing at Tottenham is another feather in Solskjaer's cap in regards to the good job he's doing here because I can't see how much longer Sol- um, sorry, Jose can last at Tottenham. I think the fans are absolutely fed up with him. I think the players almost look fed up with him. And... Um, it's just written in the sales. You could see what this was going to happen at Tottenham. When he first signed that contract at Tottenham, it was a little bit, oh, that's a weird one. What's he really going to do there? And ultimately, everyone's been proven correct. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite funny, but it's, it's quite sad. I never like to see a, you know, a former manager, especially who had such a good relationship with the fans, because he, he did have a good relationship with the fans, mm. um, you know, dramatically fall from grace. Um because that's what it is. I think his his methods are as a manager. I know it's not a Jose Mourinho podcast, but his methods are outdated. I just don't think they're set to succeed, especially in the modern game now. Who knows whether he'll win win Spurs a trophy? You know, you never know. And I need to probably publicly retract some comments I made earlier in the season. Um, I think I made it on our Sydney like fans page where I said Tottenham would win something this season. Uh, they might still win the League Cup, but I said Tottenham would do well in the Premier League. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll happily publicly my words. So, yeah, I apologise for that comment. Well, wouldn't it be just so poetic? And again, like, I, I, I'm like you. I don't want to go too hard on Jose Mourinho because I, I did, really did like him when he was here. But I, I've seen the benefits in him leaving and Solskjaer coming in. But wouldn't it just be so Tottenham-like in regards to their relationship with Jose Mourinho if they sack Jose Mourinho and finally go on to win the League Cup? Because I think that's a real possibility. Because it's a one-off game against Man City. They obviously have the quality to win that. But you don't know if they're going to afford Jose Mourinho that opportunity. I, I think they will. Yeah, I think and, they um, will. And that'll be, that'll be an interesting final. But um, yeah, it's um, very funny what's happening. I encourage, um, I encourage all our listeners as well. There's some great memes um, coming out from this game. So if you, if you don't know, the, the former manager of Zagreb has been arrested. He got arrested oh, the yeah. day before the game. Um, I think the owner's like fled or he's, he's been extradited or he's, 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 fleeing the, he's fled the country. And the, the meme that's going around, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Prison Break, so the main protagonist oh, yeah. in that, so he's got a photographic memory and he, he escapes in prison. And there's a picture of him <laughs> on, the, on the wall um, in, in the prison, like, with a load of data. It's got pictures of Mourinho and it goes, um, 
current uh, Zagreb manager or the former Zagreb manager trying to mastermind a victory from this prison cell. It's great. Yeah, uh, so what I uh, a phone the phone he was texting the tactical instructions with it was an old prison phone. But um, <laughs> on those teams quickly, is it just do you want Arsenal in the Europa League or do you think that's too big a tie and a bit risky over two legs or are you just at the first, we're going to have to beat the best teams anyway not that we call Arsenal the best team but they're probably the biggest team left in there look there's some tough challenges but there's no hiding from the, the size of the match would be against Arsenal do you want them or would you prefer to wait that for a one-off match in the final I mean Arsenal are Arsenal they're very inconsistent but just in terms of our record against them especially under Solskjaer and with Arteta as manager I think we've lost two and drawn one. We've not got the best record um, against Arsenal, so I'd rather I'd rather dodge them because I'd back I'd back any of the teams to beat Arsenal that left in there. Even the likes of Zagreb, Slavia Prague, yeah. I'd back I'd back anyone over two legs to beat Arsenal. I just probably won't back us just due to our form. Um, but there's some, you know, it's not easy. I know we've got rid of one, you know, we've got one bigger run giant tonight. But Reno Rome would be a very tough tie. They've got you know former player Smalling playing for them, Edin Zeko. Uh, Pellegrini you've also got Ajax as well um, that, that are looking bright and obviously Slavia Prague have just knocked out Rangers who are on fine form in uh, I know the Scottish League is different but they've knocked out the champions of, of Scotland so yeah I think any tie would be tough I think you'd probably want Zagreb in all honesty I think that's looking like the probably I wouldn't say the easiest one because no tie is easy but it would be the best one um, in just in terms of ease of team but then again would you really want to be travelling all the way to Croatia especially at this stage of the yeah. season yeah no well, all our listeners will probably know by the time they listen to this who we did get and um, there is a part of me that does want Arsenal just for the reactions if we do happen to win because we're dual winning against Arsenal so um, bring them on but just before we go on a lesson to wrap up the podcast this is a topic that we could sort of dedicate a whole episode to but just your quick thoughts on during the week, um, the young players, Hannibal, Anthony Alanga, and obviously Ted and Mengi, who's actually away from the club at the moment on Derby, at Derby County on loan, um, have all signed new contract extensions, long-term deals. I'm just thinking, look, we could have a huge debate over this, but just in re- your initial reaction, do you think there's anything in regards to the director of football and Darren Fletcher's role that has played a sort of role in this, or do you think this was probably something that's been in the pipeline for the last six months and just all been announced at once? I think I don't like to read too much into these type of things but I think it's probably been in the pipeline in all honesty I think United have suffered for probably good two or three years with our with our youth team um, obviously they suffered a relegation a couple of years ago and I think City have overshadowed us in so many ways in terms of you know the youth side of football especially with what the owners have done around around the city of Manchester in terms of, you know, revamping the training ground, building, you know, a world-class youth system. And I think United are slowly getting back up there with that in terms of, you know, tying long-term players to contracts, getting their scouting system a lot better. Um, because, yeah, all of a sudden, the city just overshadowed them. It sort of came out of nowhere, yeah. really. Because United have been yeah. so dominant in, in the youth, um, not only youth league, but in terms of monopolising the talent around I wouldn't say around Manchester but around you know the UK and even around Europe as well they had a really good scouting system and it just out of nowhere you know petered out which is strange for yeah, well, about stats here well it's interesting because Hannibal I think he came into the it was unfortunate he picked up an injury but he did come into the first team bubble so he could travel a, a player can't to sort of they can't pick someone from the under 18s or 23s to come up and train with the first team anymore 
because they need to be sort of introduced into that bubble for two weeks and quarantined and what have you. But um, Hannibal is, is sort of in and around the first team, so it will be interesting with his new contract if the club potentially do try to give him one or two sort of minutes like they've done with Diallo and like they've done with sort of young Schola. But um, maybe it's just a tricky situation. It's hard to find the right chance because the games are so thick and fast now. And not only there's so many games, the importance of the games, it's not really fair to throw a young player in for their debut in what is very likely got to be a must-win situation. But just to wrap up the podcast on a must-win situation, uh, Leicester City in the FA Cup, huge game. If this was in the league, I know we play Leicester in a few weeks in the league, I think, but um, in the FA Cup, one-off game, um, this could go either way. You don't know don't know how to approach this. Is the Europa League more important? So we're through there. Now we all eyes on the Europa League and a top-four finish, or is it a chance to sort of one step closer to Wembley? you go all out again Tom really I think we're at a stage now in the league where I know every game is probably a must win but you need to sort of be competing in these cup competitions and I think Solskjaer it won't be the end of the world I don't think my perceptions of him would change if he didn't win a trophy I wouldn't want him to you know be sapped but I think for him I think he needs a trophy this year and I think it's the best opportunity they're in two um, competitions Obviously, the FA Cup has still got some big names in it. Leicester's in it. Man City's still in it, um, and some of the other. Well, do you teams. think? Do you think the FA Cup is the best chance of a trophy? Because I look at it now, and I think the Europa League is. And for one thing, for only one word you said there, or two words, sorry, but Man City is still in the FA Cup, and that is why I probably look at the Europa League, and that's probably our best in best sort of hope for a trophy. Now, in saying that, we sort of wiped floor with Man City last week, but overall, Man City are a better team, and you'd back them to beat us in a one-off game. But um, how would you sort of rank uh, chances of a trophy in the FA Cup or Europa League? Um, I think it depends who we get in the quarterfinals of the Europa League. I think if you have someone, you know, if you have a team that's, that's like maybe like Slavia Prague or Zagreb, obviously you've got the travel element for that. I think in terms of the teams left in the competition, Europa League, you're only look, really looking at Arsenal, potentially maybe Roma, is really real stiff competition. Whereas in the FA Cup, as you said, you do have City who, you know, would beat anyone in a one-off game. But our record against them is decent. So, you know, we're not lost to them, what, in two years now? I don't know. Uh, but is Jamie... Fa- what, what, James Madison, he's the one injured, isn't he, for Leicester? Is it yeah. Jamie Vardy or James Madison? Which one? So James, James Madison's injured. Um, Vardy's back. Harvey Barnes, I think, is... I'm going to say Harvey Barnes is injured as well. Yeah, look, so it's two, one of those two, ones. Two real bright players, um, but you know they've got players coming into form. I mean, you look to Vardy as their key goal scorer. Ian Acho's got got a hat trick at the weekend, and you know mm. I think he scored a you know the game the game before that as well. So they're looking quite strong, uh, Leicester. I mean, I don't think now if you look if you if you switch this to the Premier League, I don't think Leicester are going to go out the top four. I think they've got enough now in the tank to to carry them through for the season I know sort of lockdown came at this point last year and then we were playing catch up and Leicester just crumbled I just think now with how games are spaced out I think you know the stiff competition and it will be a tough tie um, in the FA Cup real real tough tie regardless of the injuries but I think we've got enough quality in the team to, to see them off just like anyone yeah well just getting away from the FA Cup just to finish the podcast is looking at that top four there and I'm thinking yeah, okay, big game against Leicester, but put that to the side. And I'm just thinking one or two more results, like one or two more wins for everyone in the top four 
I think the top, as you say, the top four might start to just take shape. I think it might finish as is in regards to, I don't have the table in front of me, but I assume Chelsea are in fourth now with Leicester in third. Yeah. And um, I think one or two results for everyone. I just think we're going to run out of games because there's just not that many games left. I think like Man City, they need 14 points. And the reason they need 14 points to win the league because there's so few games left. I think we're still in the mindset of it's just after Christmas and we still have a huge chunk of the season to go. When you actually look at it, we're we're in the home stretch now almost. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's been what you call what Fergie used to call the business end of the season. Now the last ten games, rip pretty much, um, especially in the league, mm. in, well, in the league, and it's sort of like them routine performance. We've been we've been dropping the blade, sort of really solid defensively, but getting the goal to win it to get us over the line. You know, two consecutive one 0 victories. It's a classic, you know, end of season style performance, really. Well, fingers crossed. And just one last question to wrap up um, without going into a whole team selection debate. Um, Leicester, FA Cup, but who's the goalkeeper? Is it Dean Henderson or do you bring David De Gea back in? Um, I'd probably carry on with Henderson, but I wouldn't be surprised if he brings De Gea back in, just in terms of, you know, you could always coin that to cut rotation, couldn't you? So, you, well, you, are you don't playing Henderson? Raised, don't forget raise many eyebrows it, if you did. Are you keeping Henderson in, in regards to he's our first choice goalkeeper and it's an FA Cup game and then when the important Premier League match comes around, David De Gea is back in? Or are you almost seeing this as full strength 11? It's now Dean Henderson. I see it's full strength 11, you know, Dean Henderson. I don't it's think. Interesting I think, share, but hard to argue because he yeah, has performed. I was going to say, like, in terms of. Has he put a foot wrong, really? You know, I mean, he maybe could have done more for that goal against um, AC Milan, but he's had a few clean sheets. Um, yeah. Really struggled for clean sheets this season, especially, um, especially if he, you know, looks at the first couple of months of the league. I think we're coming behind from behind every game with the hair in that. So I think where United have improved is they look a lot more tight defensively. Has that come, at the, you know, at the extent of being a bit poor, you know, attacking wise? Maybe so, but. We just look a bit more organised and maybe the quality of football or you know the enjoyment factor is taking a bit of a hit but sometimes you need to do that especially at such a crucial stage of the season yeah no definitely and um yeah well we'll be back at the pub on monday unfortunately it's a 4am on a monday morning kickoff um, for us here in sydney but we will be back at the pub um fingers crossed larry can join us if larry isn't at the pub on monday um, as I said at the start of the podcast, um, the search party can commence, but I'm, I'm sure I'm confident he will be there to discuss the win against Leicester. And until then, make sure you obviously all subscribe on your social media platforms at UTD Pubcast and obviously subscribe in your podcast app so the podcast just uploads onto your phone as soon as we upload it. And um, until then, Josh, have a good weekend, mate. Pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Absolutely, mate. You too. Easy. Have a good weekend, everyone. We'll chat to you on Monday. Bye.